It is good to welcome many of you back this morning, if you're back for the first time um, in many months or years. It's great to see you. Welcome back. Um, the sun is shining. It feels like this, you know, some things are moving on and progress is being made. And, and um, you know, uh, yesterday we celebrated a wedding um, here in the church. It was a wonderful occasion. Um, uh, Arman and Yonju were married yesterday. Uh, you may have seen it online. It was all recorded, but uh, we were here gathered to celebrate with them, sent them off uh, yesterday. So, uh, yeah, good Good to see things coming back. Good to see movement and life. Um, we're going to start a new series today. It's going to take us through the next few weeks as we walk towards Easter, take us through this season of Lent. And uh, it's called, it's, oh, before I go, these are notes from the upper room. So it's, we're going to look at what is referred to often as Jesus' farewell discourse um, and we're going to well, we're going to concentrate mainly in the chapters between 14 and 16, John 14 and 16. And Jesus is in the upper room uh, with his disciples, and this is before he is arrested uh, and then tortured and crucified uh, and died. So it's we it's it's a time in which Jesus is gathered. It's a sense in which we today are coming into the upper room with Jesus. We want to hear from him. We want to, particularly in a world that is, is going crazy all around us, Lord, what are you saying to us? What do we need to hear from you? And um, because as the disciples, we've, we've, the disciples are, are gathering with Jesus. Um, I spoke last week about the foot washing uh, that had happened. This is, this is all happening in the upper room. Jesus washed their feet. And, um, and then he's gone on to say, some of you are going to betray me and oh, you're all going to run off, but don't worry. It's all going to go dark, but you know, I, I, I'm with you. It's all, it's all under control. Um, some of you are going to betray me. You're going to deny me. It's like, no, and, and it, but it's all going to go kind of pear-shaped. Um, but I, I know that, Jesus says. Uh, and he tells them that he, he, he knows this. And he's trying to bring them words of comfort. It's remarkable. Jesus is the one who is about to go to the cross. He's about to be crucified. He knows where he's going. And yet he's the one who's bringing comfort to the disciples, those who are about to actually deny him and betray him and abandon him in his hour of greatest need. And yet here we find Jesus speaking words of comfort to his followers. You know, I, I realized as I was preparing this message and I was reading and, and going over the text and, and praying, I thought, I'm sure I've preached this. I mean, of course I have at some point, but it felt fairly recently. It felt like maybe just the other day, which my kids would say, Dad, that, that was years ago. And actually it was. It was in 2020. It was years ago, but it still feels just like the other day. And I remember preaching at that point that, you know, what troubles your heart. And we had videos from different people, and I can see some of you here that shared, you know, the things that trouble my heart and shared some of the troubles of your own hearts. And, and here we are two years later, and, and two things really. One, how many of those things that really troubled our heart were realized? Did they come into being? And, and then two, who would have imagined that we would be where we are today when we asked that question then? You know, what is, what are we, and what have we learned from that? What have we learned since then through having gone through that and being with um, Jesus? I, I get texts occasionally uh, through the day from school. Uh, uh, my daughter is 
studying socials, and they're obviously doing a, a unit on religious studies. And so I got this random out of the blue text saying, that, like, Daddy, can you be excommunicated? And it's sort of, oh. <laughs> Tell me, tell, and so I, you know, I understood that she's, you know, she's studying, you know, her, her religious studies in her socials program. And then this week, um, I got a great question, and it was a profound question, um, but it was a simple one that I, I kind of found out later on where she was coming from. It was like, what sort of Christians are we? Was the question. What sort of Christians are we? And that's a good one, isn't it? To ask, like, what sort of Christians are we? And, uh, and I thought, well, I could throw her back the, the jargon and the, the titles and the names of, that we often use and we associate with ourselves. And, um, you know, does that help you? I said, well, you know, she said, we're not Catholic. I said, no, we're not. We'd be of a Protestant tradition. It's like, okay, right. And, and, and said, but what, you know, what else? I said, well, we'd, be, we'd use the term uh, evangelical. And I uh, said, so what, but what does that mean? I said, well, okay, well... It means different things to different people, actually, right now. But, it's, but I would say, for simplicity's terms and for your purposes, that it, it actually means that we believe what the Bible teaches us about Jesus and in turn God is true. That we believe that his word is, is true. And that's where we come to uh, in this text today in John 14, because Jesus is effectively asking, like, do you, what do you believe? Do you believe this? Will you believe this? He starts in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe in also in me. It's effectively what we need to do is answer that question, the same question that he asked the disciples uh, in Matthew's gospel, like, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What kind of Christians are we? What do we believe? So if you have your Bibles, why don't you open them up with me and let's hear these words of comfort that Jesus brings in John 14. I'm going to read um, from here, uh, 1 to 14. So Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will 
do it. Words of comfort that Jesus is bringing to his disciples. At a time where they are confused, they are fearful. He's just told them that he's gonna leave them and he's going away and that they can't follow him. But Jesus, we gave up everything to follow you. Where are you going? Like what happened last week was palm leaves and cheering and this week, now you're going away and that we're gonna deny you and betray you and run from you. What, what, what is this? The, 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 the disciples are on the verge, on the brink of catastrophic failure in their discipleship of Jesus, with Jesus. This is what everything has been leading up to. This is, this is the great crescendo of their journey with him. And at precisely this moment of need, they fall away. And they don't, they're not faithful. And they're not strong, and they're not courageous, and they're not as, they're not as true to Jesus. They're not, they're not as strong in their faith as they once thought they were. But Jesus replies to them and says, but let not your hearts be troubled. When these things happen, when, when you don't understand what is going on around you, when it all gets dark, and when the world is in chaos and you can't see a way forward, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus is describing who he is. He's putting himself on level that he is God. Do you believe who I am? Do you believe what that means? Because Jesus goes on to tell them that he is the way and the truth and the life. But he reminds them through and brings words of comfort to them that says, but my way, the way, is not an easy road to travel. John 13, is, he's just told them that. He's shown them that. He said, this is, this is not an easy way. The way of Jesus is the way of suffering. It's the way of sacrifice. It's going to be the way of rejection, where you're going to feel weak. It's a way of humility, of obedience, of surrender, and trust when we don't understand what is going on. The way of Jesus is not an easy road. Jesus is bringing comfort to the disciples who, who are about to, to see their world fall apart. And he says to them, but this is the way. This is the way of the cross. When you go through hardship, when you go through struggles, when you face opposition, when you face rejection, when you face criticism, know that that is the way as you follow me in obedience. And it's in your weakness that you will know my strength and you will know my victory. Jesus is encouraging his disciples to persevere. And he goes on to say why. Jesus, the way, tells them that the way to follow him is to keep the big picture in view. To keep the big picture in view. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. For not so, I would have told you that I go, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. 
Jesus is going to go away. They won't understand where he is. They won't be able to see him. But Jesus is saying, and this road that you're going to go on, which is tough, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to wonder, and you're going to question, but I want you to have hope because heaven is real. Where I am going is where the Father dwells. It's real. It's not the product of some religious imagination. Heaven, where Jesus is going, the place to which he's going, is referred to in other parts of the New Testament as kingdom, as inheritance, as country, city, and here as home. And not just any home. This is the Father's home. So this is a place of love and joy. So Jesus is comforting his disciples in hardship by saying, listen, the road is hard. You will go through opposition. You will face difficulty. You will face persecution. But keep the long game in sight. Have hope. And live. can you live with a perspective that takes you beyond the here and now? to the promise that is to come. You see, when John described that kingdom, that dwelling place with God, he he used images and pictures and words that that are so beautiful for us to understand. Then he ran out of words, ran out of ways to describe the presence, what it is to dwell with the Father. So much so he said, "I, I can't tell you anymore about what it is. I'll tell you what isn't there. There's no death, there's no sorrow, there's no crying, there's no pain, there's no night. Jesus is encouraging and comforting his disciples by giving them hope. Beyond all of this, now there is more. And I'm going to prepare a place for you. This hope is is faith. One commentator said it's like, it's faith standing on tiptoes and looking just beyond so what we can't, we haven't yet attained fully. I wonder how comforting that is to us now as 21st century disciples. I wonder how comforting and what hope that brings to disciples of Jesus in Ukraine and Russia. That Jesus has a home for us that the kingdom of God is a city, it's a place, it's a country, that we have an inheritance with him that cannot be taken, that is set apart for us, that Jesus has reserved. And yes, the journey is hard, but it's worth it. Have hope, persevere, look beyond You ever done family trips and vacations? Many of us have family living in far-flung places of the world. My family is coming to visit. My brother and his wife and their youngest daughter are coming next week. You may notice another William is on the bulletin. He'll be preaching next week. So, you know, they haven't come. They live on the east coast of the United States. We live on the west coast of Canada, and there's quite a way to go. And, you know, it costs money to get here, and who wants to sit on a metal tube that flies through the sky um, cramped in little seats and, and, you know, but we do that, don't we? I mean, how many of you sort of like, oh, I want to sit on an eight-hour flight and go, no, we don't. We want to sit on a beach somewhere. That's what we want to do. It's like, it's the destination. That's what we want, which makes the journey actually bearable. 
Jesus is pointing to the destination. He's saying, remember this. I'm going to a place I'm preparing for you. It's the Father's house and there is a place for you. Have hope. Whatever else goes on beyond this room, have hope. Someone said, who could mind the journey when the road leads home? That's why we read in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. The way of Jesus is hard. It's not an easy road. But the way of Jesus uh, keeps the big picture in view. And we live with an eternal perspective. Well, that's a great picture, Jesus. Thanks for that. But the idea of dwelling with God, really, how is that possible? How do we do that? We read in, in verse five, Thomas said, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How can, we, how can we know the way? And Jesus goes on to explain that he is the way and the truth and the life. What a wonderful picture of grace that Jesus is extending to his disciples. Remember what is about to happen. Remember what happens to them in this moment of pressure. They crumble, they break, they fall away, and they fail him. And Jesus is saying, you do know the way. I'll take you. I, I'm the way. I'm the way. There's lots of conversation. We see, that, see the relationships. We have conversations and you know, boards about means and ends. And, you know, we set a destination. We can set a goal. This is where we want to go. But do we have the means to get there? Like we, can, we can all come up with some fantastic ideas of like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the moon next week. No, you're not. There's no way you can get to the moon. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place to you. You can dwell in the Father's house forever with me. It's like, how? Jesus said, no, I, I can get you there. You see, Jesus means, he, he is the means. He measures up to the ends. We can have confidence that Jesus will get us home. A few years ago, before we moved here, we were in a church. We led a church in Ontario. And um, they had to have a conference I was sent to by the church that was down in Southern California, um, very close to Disneyland. And there was going to be a vote on the first day. And they said, look, um, Paul, the vote on the first day, we need to send you and one other delegate from the church. We thought we could send Alessandra. So you could go together. There's a vote on the first day. After you've made that vote, the rest of the conference actually is irrelevant to you. So if you want to do that bit of work, and then you could take, take the kids as well. You just have to pay for their flights, and you could go to Disney. It's fantastic. We could go to Disneyland. So we flew over, we did the conference, I did my work bit, we went and sat and attended the, the conference and the, we did what we were meant to do and then we said, right, we're gonna go to Disney. Kids, I am taking you to Disneyland. It was one of my finest moments as a dad. It's like, yes, off we go. So uh, great excitement, we bought the tickets and, well actually, actually, we went to look at the tickets. They were so expensive. Like it's like one thing getting there but then you gotta buy the tickets to get into Disney. There's a family of four of us. We had free flights. Well, we had flights paid for two of us, but now we got to, and we got to pay for, but kids, I'm going to take you to Disney. So we jumped in the car the following morning. We had that picnics packed. There was great excitement. We drove right up to the gates. We parked. And then and I said, I have brought you to Disneyland. And, and then they started to unbuckle their seatbelts and all excited. I said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? I said, we're going to Disney. I said, I brought you to Disneyland. I can't afford to pay for the tickets to take you into Disneyland. 
We jumped back in the car and we drove home. They were a little upset. But I feel I took them to Disney. Of course. Of course not, right? Of course we went in. Of course the ticket was paid for. Of course I followed through on what I said I was going to do. And the Father does. Jesus follows through. He doesn't just get us to the gate and says, good luck. He makes a way. He is the way for us to the Father's presence. What a word of grace. He doesn't leave it to us. He doesn't, he doesn't point the way and say, left a bit, straight through, keep your head down, you should be fine. He is the way. He, he takes us, he leads us, he, he, he enables us to go. And it's like, you know, when we read through the Old Testament, and we read about or the, 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 um, the, the great, the priest, the high priest, who once a year would go into the Holy of Holies and would make a sacrifice for, to atone for the people's sins, that he would go into that place. Well, now in Jesus, the great high priest, by his sacrifice, he has made a way for us into the presence of God, into, to, into the dwelling place of God himself by his spirit. Jesus, through his blood, through the cross, has made a way. He is the way. That's why um, later on in... Uh, in Acts, Peter stands up and he speaks to Sanhedrin and says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which you must be saved. Oh, that's a tricky bit. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Great. No one comes to the Father except through me. Can we not cut that bit out? It's incredible how many, how many people just, how we struggle with that. And actually rightly so, because there have been all sorts of aggressions and, and terrible things that have been done in the name of the church, but we can't get away from it. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the early church, that's what Peter attested to. There is no salvation. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Why then this exclusive nature? Why, Jesus, do we have to have this? Can't we just say that it's all valid? Can't we just say that every, every way is a way and this is a way, it's a nice way. And it's a, I mean, it sounds nice, but does it make sense? Like, logically, it doesn't make any sense because if all religions are valid, then that means Christianity is valid. And if Christianity is valid, what Jesus just said is effectively invalidated every other religion because he says, I'm the only way. What is Jesus doing? How is this good news? How is it comforting to us in our world today? It's because Jesus is saying, listen, it's never been about, it is never about you. It's not about your religious ceremonies. It's not about your performance. It's not about your achievements. It's not even about your faithfulness. It's about me. It's about what I have done for you. It's about, do you believe in what I have done for you on the cross? It's all about him. Jesus doesn't want us to be bound by religions, by the, the, the rules and the regulations like the disciples are about to fail him miserably, as we do, miserably, repeatedly, frequently. And Jesus says, I love you. I have more for you. There is a place for you, and I am going to get you there, and it's going to be bumpy. But stand on tiptoes and look beyond because that is for you because of what I have done for you. You know, 
we can't ditch in this. There was a decisive act. There was a decisive moment in history where God broke into time. He took on flesh and he came amongst us. He dwelt amongst us to call us to himself. And, and whilst religion is often our best attempts, it's our searching, it's our chasing after God. If, we could, if I could only just climb this mountain to, to reach God, to attain him, to, to see him, to know him, if I could only do this, if I could achieve that, it's never about us going to Jesus. It's about the God who came to us. It's not our search for him. It's about God who searches for us. That's what makes this such good news. It's never about our efforts and our attempts and our strength and my understanding. It's Jesus, by your spirit, you have revealed yourself to me. And you have called me by name that I can be set free from all this religious trappings and achievement and, and, and trying to win your favor. You give it. It's by grace. It's by faith. It's by belief, Jesus, in what you have done. Nothing else. Nothing else. There is nothing that we can add. Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. Do you believe that I am God, you believe in the Father, do you believe also in me? We're trying to climb, we're waiting, and Jesus says, hey, no one else is coming. I've done it. You're mine. You know, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, of that, you know, that story, remember that story in Kings, 1 Kings 18, and Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And they're, just turn to it, they're, you know, Elijah's kind of goading them a little bit. So, but, but they're, they're calling out and, and praying and they're cutting themselves and they're, they're making all these noises and doing all this religious stuff and it's like silence, there's nothing. Then Elijah says, he comes near, he says, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and that I've done all these things at your word. Answer me, Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O oh Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. No one else is coming no one else is coming. Jesus has come for us. He has made a way for us. It is done. It is finished. He has made a way. That work is complete. What he did on the cross was sufficient. We can't add to it. We can't take away from it. That's good news. That's good news in a world that is kind of crazy right now. It's good news to a people that we know we can't always get it right before him. It is good news. It is gracious. And it's loving. Will we believe in him? Jesus says, the way to the Father, he's the way, but it's not an easy road. But he says there is, there is something that's worth persevering for. There is hope, there is a future, and there is a promise, and it's secured for you. You got your tickets, you're all paid up, your place is reserved. He says it's through him that there's nothing that we can do to make a difference. There's nothing that it doesn't depend on our success and, our, and all of our religious practices, our ceremonies, our rituals. 
our service, it's on him. But then he tells us that the way, uh, Jesus as the way is the way to the Father and the way of the Father. See, when we read on in this um, from in John 14, uh, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. Just show us. Like we get that, don't we? Like when, when it's all kind of a bit confusing and, and we don't get it and it's hard and life is hard, we're like, Lord, I'd love a sign right now. Like, fire from heaven, please. We'd love that. It's understandable when, when Philip asks this question. But Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you so long you, you don't know me, Philip? Because whoever's seen me, whoever's seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Look, look at me. I, I am the way. I am the, the way to the Father. I am of the Father. The Father's way is me. The life that you see in me is the Father. When the world around you is cruel and harsh, when you can't see me, when there are no signs, like how do, you, how do we worship the invisible God? I mean, understandably, there are times when it's going to be pretty hard. We, we might, in our day today, might even wonder of the most faithful amongst us, Lord, where are you? What are you doing with the, with the, with the disease and war and, and just the sadness and the brokenness of our world? Lord, where are you? Like, how do I, we're praying. Jesus said, but to see me is to see the Father. So when you are caused to doubt the goodness of God because the world is biting you, because the world is hurting you and you are hurting, don't doubt the goodness of the Father because you can look to me. That that was invisible is now made visible. Look at me. Remember my words and what I've taught you, the the truth of who I am. And, And if more than that, look at my works. Look at the life that I've lived. When you doubt the goodness of God, remember me, me and the Father, we're one. To see me is to see the Father. And what have you seen in me? You've seen the tender mercies of God worked out. A God of compassion, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, a God who draws alongside the good shepherd that leaves the 99 to chase after the one. A God who never lets go, who never gives up, who, who humbles himself to come before us because so great is the Father's love for us that he gave himself for us, that he came down from heaven. He set aside his majesty, the glory of heaven, to be amongst us, to be born in the muck and the mire and in weakness and in the brokenness of our world out of his love for us. When you doubt the goodness of God, when you look at the world and wonder, where is he? We can say, look, we look at Jesus and we're reminded of his goodness and we're reminded of his love and we're reminded of his mercy. He's the father that heals. He is the life. And the way of Jesus is the life. It is the way of the father. He restores, he he forgives, he cares. Jesus, we read elsewhere in the Bible in Colossians that all we need to know about God is in Jesus, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What we get confused about, what we can't see, we come back to Jesus. We can make our faith about all sorts of things, but we've got to keep coming back to Jesus to keep the main thing the main thing, haven't we? What kind of Christians are we? was the question. 
We've got to be the type that come back to Jesus again and again and again, who, who see him as the way, who trust him that when the road is not easy, but there is per, we can persevere, who, who know that we can stand on tiptoe and look with hope to a future that is promised because he's the truth. We, we, we can look beyond him and know that even though we're going to mess up, he alone is the one that actually gets us home. He is the way. He is the means by which we meet this end and this walk into this future, that we can live in that life now. And he is the love of the Father. Should we ever doubt? Should we ever wonder? Should we ever lose sight? Jesus says, look at me. Look at me. But not only is Jesus the way to the Father, the way of the Father, he is the Father's way to us. He's the Father's way to us. Verse 12, For truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and even greater works than these will he do. Because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. Ask me. Jesus promises because he is at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is preparing a way. What is he doing? He was a carpenter. Is he cutting wood and putting up framing to build another room on the, on the Father's house? How does Jesus prepare the way for us? He's our advocate at the right hand of the Father. He is praying for us now. And people say, would you pray for me? I love you. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. What an amazing thing to know that Jesus is praying for us. Bringing us before the Father. I love him. I love her. And through Jesus, through the, the Father, through, through Jesus, brings salvation to us. It's the means, it's the, it's the channel through which we receive the blessing of the Father. That we receive the righteousness of God through Jesus. Not our own righteousness. He clothes us in righteousness. He pays our debts and then he says, and by the way, here's the credit to your account. The peace of God, the spirit of God, the revelation of God, the power of God that we might do even greater things. Not greater than Jesus in, a, in, a, in the sense that we become greater than our master. He's told us just before in John 13, no servant is above his master. But we, the church, through the years, through our prayers, through the ministries that we hear about, the people that we have just prayed for, Jesus says, you're gonna do even greater things. Ask me, pray, and through me, the Father ministers his blessing. Through me, to you, to us. Jesus is encouraging us to take notes from the upper room. You know, in a minute, in a few minutes, we're gonna leave this place and we're gonna leave this upper room moment and we're gonna go back out into our day, whatever that holds for us, back into our homes, whatever that means, into the relationships that we're living, back into, back into the world, our work next week, into whatever that is, we're gonna turn our phones on, we're gonna turn the news on and it's all gonna come at us. And Jesus would say, I want you to take note. I want you to take note that when it all seems crazy and it all feels like it's falling apart and when you just don't know where I am and you can't see me, I want, you to, I want to remind you of these things. I want to remind you that to persevere. 
that there's hope, that there's grace, that there's love, and that there's power through the Spirit for you now in this time, in this place, in this moment. He's enough. Jesus would remind us, as he reminded his first disciples, when you fail, when you don't make sense of any of this, just know that I'm with you. And even if you can't see me, you need to believe that I have a place for you. Do you believe me? Do you believe me as you believe in God? Whatever hardship, whatever fear, whatever choices, will we speak up, will we love? Will we forgive, will we heal? Will we answer Jesus faithfully when he says, who do you say that I am? And what will we say when our children ask us, what kind of Christians are we? Why don't I pray for us now and then Susan's gonna come and lead us in communion. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you that your desire is to minister your peace and your healing to our hearts, to comfort us uh, in our times of trouble. Lord, as we come to communion now, to share in this time, I pray, would your spirit minister to us? And would you draw to mind those notes from the upper room to remind us of that which you are pointing us to? that you want to remind us of. That we may follow you faithfully. You, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen.